Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our special guest speaker. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Uh, It's my great privilege to introduce to you Pastor Lyndon. Lyndon Good, come here. Uh, I met Pastor Lyndon about 10, 12 years ago. He's been pastoring for 40 years almost. I want you to give you like, please. I've known a lot of pastors in my life, a lot of ministers. Some of them grow so cynical and hard and callous and I don't blame them for that. They've, they've been through a lot and as Pastor Neil said, a lot of them have been chewed on and speed out. Uh, and it's really hard to maintain a tender heart. I, I met with this guy a few months ago at a coffee shop and we talked. And I talked to a Christian brother and we, we both had moments when we were both choked up. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to be so long in the ministry and still have a tender, tender heart. So please open your heart to receive from the Lord through this brother. Okay, welcome, uh, Lyndon. Dennis, do I get a podium? Ah, you get a podium, man. (laughs) They got podiums. (laughs) While he's getting that, I just kind of wondering out loud. When Jesus healed blind Bartimaeus and the lepers and so on, do you think any of them ever said, holy cow, I've been healed? (laughs) It is a pleasure for us to be here this morning. My wife, Charlene, is with me and we've got some family members. We, uh, we have, uh, we've been attending here for, I don't know, a couple months now and thank you for welcoming us commend you for being a congregation of uh, celebration, uh, openness to the move of the Spirit, to fresh words, to, to changing the order of service if necessary. Um, thank you for being that kind of a congregation. And the humility of your leadership is a real blessing to all of us. Um, I would like to commend you as a congregation. I don't know how many of you were here when Pastor Neil was going through his rough time, he shared about that a couple weeks ago. And I want you to know that most churches would have spit him out and would, would have done it kindly in a Christian way. God bless you. You go get healed somewhere and we're going to continue church. And you guys stayed with him. That, that's unheard of. And so I commend you for uh, being that kind of a congregation. I wondered, as I watch what's happening in the world today with uh, COVID and the fiasco, blundering fiasco in Afghanistan and on our border, southern border, the economy being affected, uh, businesses having a hard time finding people to work. It's like... What's going on in our world? And it's like it hit me this morning. This congregation's praying for a revival. Stop it! <laughs> Don't you know that revival is always going to be preceded by chaos? People have got to become aware there needs to please stop play, praying for a revival. No. No. Okay. 
just joshing. <laughs> Do not be amazed at what's happening in our world today. And don't be dismayed because God is in control, as was shared earlier. Uh, on Christ the solid rock I stand. Amen. We need to understand here in America that Christ is our solid rock, not our government. Not our military. Those, those entities have been powerful and I think have done a lot of good in the past in restraining evil in our world and, and bringing blessing into the world. Providing an atmosphere, for instance, for Bibles and for missionaries to go throughout the world. I think this nation has been a blessing to this earth in many ways. We've also been a curse in many ways. But we need to understand that the United States of America is not our solid rock. Amen? I don't know. I'm not a prophet. I don't know what's going to happen in the near future or the far future with our nation. When you read prophetic scriptures, you read the book of Revelation, there certainly seems to be a point in time where the nations of the earth gather together and fight the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I assume that would include the United States. It's some, there's going to be tremendous deterioration at some point. We become godless and lose our way even worse than we have now. And that uh, forces in America will be, be part of that great army that arrays itself against the kingdom of God, against the kingdom of Jesus. I don't, I don't know when that will happen. But I want to uh, align my life something more stable than the United States. I love our country, don't get me wrong. We've been, it's a great country to live in. Um, it's a wonderful country. I, I just thank God for the blessing of having been born in this nation. It's been a tremendous blessing to me, to my family. The, the greater blessing is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, so much for the introduction as we worshiped. I just love the worship here. Uh, as we worshiped, all kinds of words were getting stirred on the inside of me, and I thought, you know, I don't know how much time we've got here, but I've got about three hours worth of messages to bring to this congregation. <laughs> Is there any way to reduce, reduce those spotlights? If it's not, I can live with it, but... I like to look out and see the whites of people's eyes. And all I see is a holy aura. <laughs> I know you better than that. So it's just the lighting, amen? If you can't do it, it's fine. It's just uh, it's a bit unnerving for me, but I've been unnerved before. Amen? There's a, there's a verse in Psalm 119, and I, I would often pray it as I was pastor. And I'm going to pray it right now. Father, open the eyes of our hearts that we might see wonderful things in your law. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share a message this morning that I would call, the guys who are looking for a title, so I said, we'll just call it GOAT, G-O-A-T, the GOAT message. Um, how many people know the, the name Simone Biles? Okay, she's probably, she's, she's the world's greatest gymnast, but probably the world's greatest athlete overall in terms of body tone and control and strength and agility 
and the ability to do things. She's probably, and, and we would call her the GOAT of gymnastics, the greatest of all time, amen? Uh, there's some people out there think that Michael Jordan is the GOAT of, of basketball. I, I don't know if that's true or not. Some people think LeBron James is. I, I'm pretty sure that's not true. Um, but I'm not the judge, amen? Oh, I do a lot of judging, but I'm not the judge. <laughs> the greatest of all time. I would like to share with you this morning what I think are the three scriptures that are the greatest of all time. These are the scriptures that, oh, by the way, I've got the, I've got the wonderful privilege now as a retired pastor to step back from committee meetings and vision meetings and planning services and, and planning daily messages. And I've got this tremendous privilege of being able to stand back and say, God, what's the big picture? If, if you ever provide me opportunity to speak, I, I'm, I'm not one to speak on how to raise kids. Uh, my wife and Jesus raised our kids. Um, <laughs> I'm not one to speak on, on how, how to, for a wife and a husband to get along because, again, it was my wife and Jesus that saved our marriage, and it is what it is today. But So I, I don't preach on those kinds of things. So, God, what is it out of the experiences I've had and the scriptures that I do understand, which are not very many, but the few that I do understand, what is the message if I'm given the opportunity today to speak into the life of churches? And so this is one I believe that God has given me, the goat, greatest of all time. This, there are three scriptures out there that I believe give us the overall view that we can hang our lives on. Um, there are different modes of baptism, and you can go to Scripture, and you can, you can probably prove sprinkling, and you can prove dunking, and you can prove uh, pouring, and different. And then there's even a group that says baptism, water baptism is just symbolic, and so they don't baptize in water. You can, you can go to Scripture and prove that stuff. So I don't hang my life on a mode of baptism. If you've been sprinkled, God bless you. If you've been poured, hallelujah. And if you haven't been baptized at all, I'm still praying for you. If you've been dunked, hallelujah, you're one, you're, you're one of the chosen. <laughs> but the mode of baptism is not the important thing, amen? And, and just like was mentioned earlier by Wes, Jesus' return, we don't know when that's going to happen. So there are scriptures that tell us we're going to go through a great tribulation, and then we're going to get raptured. There are scriptures that say people that write books and say we're going to get raptured and then the great tribulation happens. People say there's a millennium. People say there's no millennium. I don't know. I, oh, I do know. I've studied it so I know what the truth is. I think. But I don't hang my life on that stuff. Amen? I, I don't order my life around scriptures on the return of Jesus Christ. As I've studied over the years, I think I know the sequence but I also understand I may be wrong. But there are three great scriptures that, that I am willing to hang my life on. And if you don't mind, I'd like to share those with you this morning. You don't want me to? Oh, you want to hear those three? Okay. Understand, understand that these goat scriptures are from my perspective. You may listen to this and say, those are the dumbest three great scriptures I've ever. If he, would only, if he would only read the Bible more, he would know what the real goat scriptures are. Well, I'm preaching and you're not. So uh, <laughs> from my perspective, these are the three goat scriptures, greatest of all time. And for Lyndon Good, 
I am willing to order my life around these three. They give me the big picture. Number one of the three goat scriptures. I'm going to share three goat scriptures and then what I call, I had a lot of math in college. I was in engineering, and so I'm going to call it the corollary of and have a lot of physics, so there's a corollary to the third one. Three great ones and then a corollary. It, it ends up being four great scriptures. Number one, can anybody guess what it is? It has to be Genesis chapter one, verse one, amen? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. End of story. Everything flows from that. If that's true, I have a good friend in Mechanicsburg. Uh, some of you have been through Mechanicsburg and you've seen me sitting there on a the bench at the winner's one stop drinking coffee and I try to talk to a bunch of guys there and witness to them about Jesus over a period of years. And I've got a really good friend there who, who will say something like, Lyndon, the Bible's just a Jewish history book and you can't believe everything in it. Have you ever heard of, of, a, of a fish, of a whale, swallowing a man? That's impossible. It is scientifically impossible. <laughs> I'm not a marine biologist. I've never studied the throats of whales. But let me tell you this, and I told my friend that. I said, Jeff, let me tell you something. If God created the heavens and the earth, anything's possible. I don't know if he stretched the throat I don't know if it was a special whale. I don't know if Jonah was tiny. I don't know. Maybe he had scuba gear on. I don't know. There was a guy not too long ago that claimed that he was in a whale's mouth with scuba gear. I don't know if you saw that story or not. But I said, Jeff, you have to understand that if God created the heavens and the earth, that means if we say this line over here is the beginning of creation, right here, this end of the stage, and this is eternity past, and this stage here is history. It's, it's this point right here. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It means back here, God existed. He was back here. The, the Holy Spirit and Jesus, the Trinity, were having a wonderful time through whatever you call this back here. Eons, you know, time doesn't have any meaning when you get into eternity. But at this point right here, and so the, in the beginning, it says God created. It doesn't say in the beginning God was created. Amen? In the beginning, God created. So if he created in the beginning, it means he was here before the beginning. And the interesting thing, when you read the Bible, the interesting thing about this existence back here, you find a creation of angels. There was some kind of war in heaven and... Some angels were thrown out of heaven. Different things happened. But we understand from Scripture, when we look at the Trinity, it says we have three in one, and that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean there's one being back here who's schizophrenic. It means there are three beings, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three entities that's what Christianity is based on, is the concept of the Trinity. And that's extremely important because the Trinity means there was relationship already. Before the beginning of the, here in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But before the heavens and the earth, the Godhead existed. And it says it's, it's three gods in one, which means 
pretty simply that they were one in purpose. They were one in character. They did not compete with each other. There was love flowing back and forth, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There was affirmation. There was no competition. They were a blessing to each other. There was harmony. There was unity. There were three in one, similar to the way a marriage would work today, where a husband and wife, the Bible says, become one in unity and purpose and so forth. So back here in eternity past, you've got this wonderful relationship just flowing back and forth, and it's peaceful, and there's, there's no disunity, there's no disharmony, there's no fighting, there's no shame back here. It's just a wonderful situation. And then in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why did he do that? Why didn't he leave well enough alone? Can you just imagine the, the, the flow of peace and joy and creativity and just the lack of conflict is astounding. Uh, we live in a world where there's conflict everywhere because of our egos. And there's no ego back here. Freud hadn't been invented yet. The word ego wasn't even in their vocabulary. Just peace and harmony. And over here, this Godhead, God bless him, this Godhead created the heavens and the earth. Which means back here there were no molecules there were no ions, there were no atoms, there were no electrons, there were no muons, there were no leptons. That stuff did not exist. That's physical. There were no minerals. They didn't have that chart that I, I learned it in high school chemistry. What's it called? The uh, periodic table. There was no periodic table back here. God says, what's a periodic table? Here, the root of the periodic table was established. Back here, he didn't need it because there, there, no, there were no elements. There were no atoms. Here, all of a sudden, there's the need for the periodic table to help us understand the physical world. Physical world. And so the question then remains with us, why did he do that? Why would God create the heavens and the earth? A beautiful thing about, about that verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, a beautiful thing about that is that everything becomes accountable to him, amen? Everybody, everything, creation is accountable to him. There's nothing greater than the maker, than the uncreated creator, nothing greater than him. Well, I, I think the second goat gives us at least a glimpse. It satisfies my heart. You may be smarter than I am, so it may not satisfy your heart. It's great being simple. <laughs> Amen? Here it is. It's Revelation 21, verse 3. Now remember, the question is, in eternity past, there was, there was this wonderful rapport, wonderful peace, wonderful joy. Everything was hunky-dory. And so here in 
there's the creation of the, of the f- physical. The question is, why? And we find it in Revelation 21.3, the second goat. The revelator John is writing in the book of Revelation, and he's having a series of visions. And he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Look. It's almost like, and when I read it, using some literary license and some imagination, it's like, you get to this point and there's a, now the dwelling of God is with men. That was the purpose. The purpose all along was God wanted to dwell with, and it happens over here. Now, and it's when history gets wrapped up and you step across this portal and we get into eternity future. Right here. Now. And that sigh is for all of these years. All of these years. We think about six, seven, it depends. And and the years don't matter. I'm not going to get into that. Now, the dwelling of You know how I used to read that verse? Now people get to live with God. That's not what the verse says. You see carefully, what what does it say? The dwelling of God is with men. His purpose was to dwell with people. It's not that we get to go to heaven to be with God. That would be true. But from God's perspective, it's like, over here, it's like, now I get to live with Lyndon. <laughs> My wife's going, that don't make a bit of sense. <laughs> Eternity? God, you're going to have to give me grace. More than you've given me these last, whatever it's been, 40-some years. And look at the word Dwelling. His dwelling place. My wife and I like to camp. We have a small little camper. We pull it into a campsite and we set things up and we're there for a couple days. You know, uh, I think the longest we ever camped was like six weeks out in San Antonio last winter when we were helping a little church out there. You know what our address is? 127 North Main Street, Mechanicsburg, Ohio, 43044. That's our dwelling place. We don't camp there. We dwell there. We go to a campsite. That's where we camp. We don't dwell there. And it says, I hope we understand the impact of that. This is not, there's not a plan B. Over here, right on the cusp of eternity, right here, in the beginning, History begins. God created the heavens and earth. One thing in mind. Over here, he knew it. It was going to happen. All kinds of stuff would happen. Alexander the Great and Abraham Lincoln and a whole bunch of people would pass through history and God's going, now, my dwelling. I'm going to live. I'm going to dwell. That's my address. 
No plan B. Ain't going nowhere else. It's my dwelling. Final right here. Me and Lyndon. Tight. Amen? And perhaps you. (laughs) Tight with Jesus, with God forever. He's going to dwell with me. I can't imagine dwelling with me for eternity. I have some good days. It's like, well, that wouldn't be too bad, but then the good days pass into some other stuff. And so this raises another question. The question over there was, why did God bother creating the physical? Oh, it was to provide a place for people to come and be born and to grow and put their faith in God, and there would come a point where God was going to actually dwell with them. Oh, one thing I forgot, this dwelling. Do you know the context is the new Jerusalem's coming down? Hear me carefully, coming down to the earth where we are. It's not the raptures we get caught up, but that's, that's kind of a quickie. And now God comes down. And you know one thing he's going to do, you guys are too far away from me to illustrate that, but here we go. One thing God's going to do is he's in the context right there, he's going to wipe away tears. So I think what that means is he comes up to Lyndon, and I don't know why I would have a tear at that point. I don't understand that, but he comes up and he says, Lyndon, I get to dwell with you now. And he takes his handkerchief made out of Giza cotton and and he, Mike Lindell will be there too. And, and, and he begins to wipe away the sadness, the, the disappointments that I've experienced over the years, the, the heartaches, the disappointments. Most of the disappointments been in me, in, in my performance. And he takes his Giza cotton handkerchief and he personally, it says, it doesn't say it there, but in a couple of verses later, it says, he speaking future tense, will wipe away every tear. He will, he doesn't say, Gabriel, get yourself a sack or a handkerchief or something and go down there and wipe Lyndon's tears. No, he does it himself. He wipes. It's a picture of intimacy. All that word rings a bell. Intimacy with God. So this takes care of intimacy. He's wants to dwell with me. It also takes care of destiny because I get to live with him. Not, not necessarily a destiny that was, as it was being taught to us, but like eternal destiny. And so then we're left with this question. Why did he do it? Oh, he did it so he could dwell with me. I know me too well. I know me too well. In my honest moments, I'm not worthy to be dwelt, dwelt with. He, he wouldn't want to dwell with Lyndon. He, he wouldn't. Even on my best days, he, there's too much mixture. And the scripture's clear that God can't share space with anything that's dark or evil. And so there's too much mixture. So somebody else other than Lyndon. 
It'll be those people that attended church every Sunday morning <laughs> and read their Bible three chapters a, every day and on the weekends five chapters so they could get through the whole Bible. Those are the people. When I was growing up in West Virginia, I was raised in a church atmosphere where I was convinced that everybody that smoked and cussed was going to hell. I never did take up smoking. Here I stand. Maybe he isn't going to dwell with me. Maybe it's the people really who didn't smoke or cuss. And so then that brings us to the next goat. Something has to happen to us. <laughs> That's not based on our performance. It has to happen to us to make us worthy of being here for God to dwell with. He has to do something. And you know what he did? The other greatest scriptures, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, quoting the King James Version, that whoever believed in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. For God so loved the NIV of the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know what perish means? Perish means to exist Stepping across this portal, perish means to exist in eternity future without the grace of God in any form whatsoever. The Bible describes it as outer darkness, thick darkness, heat, sulfur, smelly worms that don't die. It's an ugly picture. It'd make a good movie for some of us. Worms that don't die, eating away at your flesh. That's perish. Perish means to exist without the presence of God at all. And not just his presence, but his grace. I had a friend, a good friend one time, who was so discouraged with life, God was not answering his prayer the way he thought God should answer his prayer. And he got so angry with God. It was kind of funny because he was asking God to take away his rage. And God didn't take us away. So he got angry. He got rageful towards God. Oh, just leave my life then. That's what he's told God. If you're not going to answer my prayer, then get out. And he says in the next instant, he was in a dark room with no doors and no windows. There was no ambient light. There was no light coming through from the outside. There was nothing in there but him and darkness, and he was alone, and it was hopeless, and it was awful. It scared the bejeebers out of him. And then the next time he says, God, I'm sorry. I want you back. I need you. And just like that, God's grace came flooding back into his life. Amen? Amen. My friend experience for probably a second or a fraction of a second what it's going to be like over here to perish. People, I don't want any of us in this room to go through that. It's not going through it. It's living in it forever and ever and ever. It's just an awful, awful thought. We don't want our children, we don't want our neighbors to go through that kind of thing. We don't want to perish. Perish would be over here and God would look at you on Judgment Day and say, I'm not going to dwell with you. Okay? So over here you go, and you exist in this hell hole of blackness and darkness without the presence of God. Nothing to quench thirst, no fresh air to breathe, no people to interact with. Nothing social, just you and your thoughts and your... It's horrible. Eternal life, and it would be the opposite of that. Eternal life is existing in the grace of God forever. 
How many people want to experience that? Amen. And we get, to, we, get a, we, get a, we get a touch. We get a smidgen of it now, right? But in eternity past, we get to dwell in that forever in some kind of greater measure than we've ever experienced. For God so loved the world. And so the key, the key is, is the word believe, isn't it? Because those who believe in him get eternal life. And if you don't believe, you don't get eternal life. So over here, when, when God says, ah, now I get to dwell with Lyndon, it means that Lyndon believed in Jesus. It's not that Lyndon did everything right. What's going on here? Am I still okay? I am. It's not that, it's not that my performance measured up to some great standard or even substandard. It's that I believed and he accepted me based on my belief. Amen. Not performance-based, but faith-based. Now the dwelling of God is with men. God says, I get to live. Oh, I've been longing for this day. I want to live with Lyndon forever. It blows my mind. Don't understand it. I like it. Don't understand it. I get to live with Lyndon forever. Woohoo! Yeah! And it happened. That's possible because of Jesus, what he did for me. And his grace touched me in an undeserved way, and I responded, and I put my faith in Jesus. And right now, I don't know how not to believe in Jesus. You, you can take a gun to my head and say, stop believing in Jesus. Okay, I'll stop. But I can't stop. I would just be lying to you. Anybody besides me, you can't stop believing that Jesus is the Son of God. He is. He really is. He asked Peter that question. He said, what do people say? He says, Isaiah and all this stuff. So who do you say? Jesus said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And God said, whoa, somebody revealed that to you. And I've had the same revelation. Based on that revelation, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Those are the three goats. Amen? The corollary. What does that look like? John three sixteen. What happens to me as I put my faith, as I believe in Jesus, and may I point this one little word out of the preposition right here, in. The preposition is not about. I don't believe about Jesus. I got a lot of friends who believe a lot of things about Jesus. I had a guy one time in Mechanicsburg. I sat down with him for lunch. I said, Sid, are you a Christian? Nah. I said, well, do you believe that God created everything? Oh, yeah. Do you believe that he sent Jesus to this earth? Yeah. That he was the son of God? Oh, yeah, he was. Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? I believe it with all my heart. I said, how come you're not a Christian? He said, I ain't ready. My friend Sid believed things about Jesus to believe in we sang it earlier. Surrender. Amen. It's to reach out and receive. I think the last time I preached here, I talked about the word lumbano, Greek word lumbano, receive. You reach out to receive a gift that's offered to you. You're engaged. It's a surrender. It's, it's an attitude of your heart. Well, what happens? 
The next great scripture, and that's a corollary. Those three, there's enough people. If that's all you get today, that's enough. Hang your life on these three. Don't, there's other, there's other things in the Bible that need to be dealt with. There's other things to understand. I, under, I know that. And the pastors here are doing a wonderful job helping you guys understand those, those issues. But I've given what I would call a framework, the big picture. This is what, this is what, I know this is kind of antiquated. This is called a Bible. Pastor Dennis comes up with one of these things they call smartphones. And he's reading from, and the smartphone's saying the same thing that's in my Bible. I just, I'm old-fashioned. I carry a Bible, okay? Bible. Yeah, me and, me and sister here, you must be over 50. So, <laughs> I bought me a smartphone a while back. It's smarter than I am. It makes me feel inferior. I just left it at home this morning. I thought, I'm going to go preach. I ain't going to have you staring at me. I'm not going to have you here in my side pocket thinking, you dummy. I don't like smartphones. The Bible. There's lots of things in the Bible. But the three goats, the greatest of all time, we, can, we may disagree on some of the stuff in there, how, how to understand it and how to live it out. And we do. I mean, we, we got whole denominations. And we got denominations that split off of denominations. And then we got other groups that split off of them, and we end up with the mess we got today. And maybe it's not a mess. But this morning I'm sharing with you the big, big picture. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. So as we do church life, the main thing is to keep the big picture in mind. I digress. I want to share with you quickly before we end. The corollary of scripture, helping the, 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 John 3.16. What happens to me? Because over here, because we doggies, I get to dwell with the Linden. What happened to me? Oh, yes, I believed in Jesus. I understand that. But in a practical sense, what happened? And I want to share with you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that tells us what happened. One of my favorite scriptures. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Here's what happened. Here's what happened, people. This is Golgotha. This is the year about 28 AD. We're not sure the exact time. Jesus is hanging on a cross, splayed out. He's up there. He's in pain. People are laughing at him, making fun of him, spitting at him, lying about him. You know who else is with him there? Hanging up there, the Father's with him. Jesus had told his disciples in the book of John several times, I don't even do anything unless I see the Father do it. In fact, when I preach to you guys, I don't say anything. Unless they hear the Father saying it. Me and the Father are just like this. We're tight. 
Let me tell you, John, he didn't. By care, we were tight. Complete unity. I still got it. Complete unity with the Father. And so Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he's able to bear that stuff because the Father's with him, giving him strength. Maybe whispering in his ear, hang in there. It'll go okay. It'll all work out. All of a sudden, though, as Jesus is hanging there, he's mystified. Read it in your scriptures. It's like I can see him going, what just happened? And he cries out, and he says in the Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Translated into English, the Aramaic doesn't do us much good. My God, my God, speaking to the one, to the Father, that he was in perfect harmony with from eternity past. He came into this earthly existence about, if this is a timeline of history, he came in about here, and the Father's still with him. A little step, 30, 30 years later, he's hanging on a cross. And he says, my God, my God, why have you, everybody else forsook him, Peter, all the rest of the disciples fled. Nobody believed in him. They didn't understand but the father understood. But now he's going, why have you forsaken me? And the scripture tells us that what happened is that he was made sin. I don't know how he did it. But the father goes all through history. Whoosh, gathered up Adam's sin, Abraham's, Gideon's, Malachi's. Abraham Lincoln's and Lyndon's sin. And now my grandkids. Trust me, my grandkids, they need a savior. Their parents are doing a really good job, but my grandkids need a savior, amen? Anybody else have grandkids that need a savior? Okay, nothing against the grandkids, nothing against the parents, just, you know what I'm talking about. And so, get back over here to 30 AD, Jesus hanging across, my God! Where'd you go? And what happened is he gathered all the sins of mankind and he put them on Jesus and he became sin. And if you read Psalm 22, I believe it is, it talks about Jesus hanging on a cross and he became so disfigured that people didn't recognize who he was and they were appalled. It's like, oh, disgusting, human, ugly looking human. He was so disfigured because of your pride and your selfishness. Jesus was ugly on a cross because of you and me and Abraham Lincoln and Gideon. Oh, that, I can't even comprehend all of the sin of the world being put on Jesus. And the scripture's clear that God doesn't have fellowship with darkness. And so the Father said, I'm out of here. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound fair, does it? Jesus, the perfect Son of God with no blemish, He was pure. He had never sinned, hanging on a cross, and all of a sudden, Lyndon's sin is on him, and yours, and everybody's, and it disfigures Jesus, and he becomes ugly carrying that sin, and the Father says, I'm out of here. He abandoned Jesus. 
Jesus experienced for that little period of time what it means to perish and not have eternal life. He was existing without the presence of the grace of God. And it was so bad that he became ugly and appalling to the people who looked at him. <laughs> I chuckle, not at Jesus' disfigurement, but at the result. Because John 3.16, when I believe in Jesus, there's a great exchange takes place. I get his righteousness. Nobody said amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. It was quite an unfair exchange. It was a good deal for me and for you. He became sin for me so that as I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I could become the righteousness of God. It's a beautiful exchange. And so I pray, little Lyndon prays, Jesus, I put my faith in you. I didn't feel any of that. But I got me a new spirit. I became the righteousness of God. I didn't even do anything but surrender. I didn't do anything but say, Jesus, come into my heart. I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. I love you. Righteousness of God. Righteousness means right behavior. It means doing the right things. And so, when Jesus healed the leper, guess who gets credit for it? It's credited to me as righteousness, Romans tells me. So I'm standing over here before God, judgment day. Oh, I hope, I hope. And he says, hey, dude, come on in. I get, we get to dwell with each other. We get to live together forever. He have been looking forward to this forever. Come on in, brother. Because what's he looking at? He's looking at the righteousness of Jesus. He's not looking at my sin. My sin has been shucked off of me. Anybody ever shuck corn? My sin has been shucked off of me and thrown into the garbage pail. And I don't carry that with me over here. And so when I stand before him with my knees quaking, it's because I'm a human being without a very thorough understanding of the grace of God. It don't, no matter, it don't matter how much your knees are quaking or if you're standing there with full of confidence saying, I know my place in, in the kingdom because I put, you know, you're standing there full of confidence, you're standing there like this, you both get in because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. The blood of Jesus gets us all in. Those of little faith and those of big faith. That's what happens when you put your faith, when you believe in Jesus. For God so loved the world, he gave Jesus on the cross so that he would take our sins on him so that when we put our faith in him, we would be made righteous in the face and the sight of God and then we could live with him 
forever in his eternal presence. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.